You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. Let me ask you, have you ever Googled yourself? That sounds a little inappropriate. Um, but I mean, really, have you ever Googled yourself? I've Googled myself before. And um, I actually Googled myself recently. But uh, if you Google James Davis, you will find no results for me. Uh, you will find results for the comedian James Davis, though. And uh, if you were to Google my name several years ago, you would find uh, results for the football player, James Davis, but um, you will not find results for me. Now, I do show up on the first page of Google. It's in an ad, and the ad asks this question, has James Davis been arrested? Uh, And the answer to that is no, just in case you're wondering, not yet anyway. And... um, But I started looking through Google, trying to find myself. Also, just in case you're wondering, I don't have a Wikipedia page either. There are several James Davises with Wikipedia pages, but I am not one of them. I'm not even in the religious section of Wikipedia. And so contrary to popular belief, I am not that popular or famous. Uh, But I started looking through Google to find out where I ended up in the results. And um, I actually do have a hit on the second page of Google. It's for a blog that I no longer write or maintain or anything like that, so it, it, it doesn't work anymore. Uh, so that was kind of pointless. And, and then I started looking, and I wondered how deep I had to go into Google to find an uh, actual link for me. And after clicking through about 20 pages, um, I realized I was probably wasting time and I should probably write this sermon. So I gave up and uh, started writing this. But... But I love Google. It's, it's, it's an amazing uh, tool that we have at our uh, disposal. I don't know what I did before Google. I probably went to the library <laughs> and looked up books and stuff like that. But I love Google. And people ask Google all sorts of questions. You know, if, if I was in charge of education in America, I would shorten the amount of time you go to school to about six years because the rest of it could just be summed up in this two-word sentence, Google it. That's it. Everything you need to know is right there on the Google. And, and I love it because I can ask questions of Google and I know that I get accurate information every time because everything you read on the internet is true. And so you just Google it and you find everything you want. You can learn how to create videos. You can learn how to be a designer. You can learn how to do photography. You can learn how to be a realtor. You can do anything you want just by Googling something. And uh, people ask Google questions all the time. And I came across this one survey that uh, shared some of the most Googled questions people asked by state. And I found it fascinating. I want to share with you some of the questions that people Googled the most by state. Um, People in Texas asked uh, this question the most to Google, where is the internet? They just want to know. Virginians most Googled, why is Virginia for lovers? Uh, Floridians, yeah, some of you still aren't sure. Uh, Floridians ask this question the most. Why do people hate Florida? (laughs) Louisiana most asks, when is WrestleMania? Love it. It's April 8th, by the way, just in case you were wondering. WrestleMania 2018, April 8th. California asks this question. Is Bernie Sanders vegan? (laughs) Like, this surprises nobody. This is a California-type question, right? 
People in Wyoming asked, what is Wyoming? Uh, people in Nebraska are feeling a bit loner, uh, l- lonely, and so the most asked question they ask is, what is Tinder? Uh, Arkansas is a little bit clueless on world history. The most Googled question in Arkansas is, who won the Civil War? Come on. In Kansas, people are asking, <laughs> asking. That's, a, that's a new website I'm starting. It's called Askling. In Kansas, people are Googling, how do you make meth? People in Missouri are asking, am I a psycho? Do not go to Missouri. In South Dakota, out of all the questions you could ask Google, in South Dakota, the most asked question there is, why is my poop green? Like, I don't know what's going on in South Dakota, but they got a problem. And then, and then I, I love this question because I think this is the question that's on all of our minds. Uh, this really, if we could solve this, it would, it would just make life so much better. The people in Mississippi, out of all the questions they could ask in Mississippi, are asking, who killed Tupac? <laughs> like, in Mississippi, of all places you would want to know that answer, Mississippi, who killed Tupac? And then finally, I'll, I'll share this last one with you. It's a question that Hawaii asked. This is what they most Googled. What is the meaning of life? Hawaii asked this question, what is the meaning of life? Maybe it's because they're isolated over there and they're like, we're part of the U.S., but we're half, half a world away. I don't know. But they're asking this question, what is the meaning of life? And you know, I, I believe that each and every one of us is asking that question as well. If not right now, we've asked it at some point in our life, and maybe you've asked this question in several different ways. Not just what is the meaning of life, but why am I here? What is the purpose of life? What, what, what is God's will for my life? What, what am I called to do in this life? And in this series called, that's what I want to answer for you. What is the meaning of life? I want to help you understand what God's calling is for you, what his will is for your life, because I don't know if you know this or not, but God really does have a plan and a purpose for your life. And maybe you've heard that, and maybe you've heard churches say that, or Christians say that, and it sounds nice, and it sounds great, but, but this series is one where I want to help you understand what God's plan and purpose is for your life. Last week, we talked about God's general will for your life, and we talked about some ways to understand God's specific will for your life, but, but today, I want to give you a tool that's going to help you really narrow down and understand what God's specific will is for your life so that you can find meaning and purpose in this life. You know, I had to wrestle with the answer to this question uh, several times in my life. What is the meaning of life? What is God's call for my life? What is God's will for my life? And one of the times where I had to answer this question was in high school. See, uh, I went to Booker T. Washington High School. Uh, I was thinking I'd get an applaud from John and Tori and... My, my mom, because she went to Booker T, too. Go Bookers. What? what? Um, but I went to Booker T, Washington High School. It's just a few minutes from here. And I graduated class of 2001. Where's all my 2001 people at? Okay. <laughs> we are not a very proud class. Um, all right. But I graduated class of 2001. And... Um, it was between my junior and senior year that I really had to answer this question, what am I here for? What is God's call on my life? Because when I was in high school, my plan was to go to UVA to study journalism. Anybody at UVA? Nobody. 
Y'all weren't smart enough to get in. It's all good. It's okay. Uh, no, I'm just joking. But my plan was to go to UVA uh, to study journalism. Now, I understand that with a degree in journalism, you can't do anything. But um, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get a degree in journalism because I love to write and tell stories. Uh, but it was between the summer of my junior and, and senior year that I felt like God was calling me into student ministry. Because at the time I was part of a church and I was part of a student ministry there and, and my life had been changed because I got involved in a student ministry and I had some people who were investing in my life as a teenager and I wanted to make a difference in other people's lives as well. So I started researching and I decided to go, uh, not to UVA, but instead to go to Roanoke Bible College. Um, I am not gonna ask about that because none of you have ever heard of that college before. Um, it's now called Mid-Atlantic Christian University. It's a, it's a college down in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. Anybody Elizabeth City? Okay, never mind. Um, but it's a, it, <laughs> this shows you how impressive my education is. Um, but it's a, it's a school that's about an hour away. It was a school that had about 200 people in it. And I got a four-year degree, a bachelor in Bible. Uh, I graduated salutatorian of my class. Uh, I got three different, thank you. You won't clap in a moment. Um, I got three different minors, one in preaching, one in youth ministry, and one in counseling. And if you're wondering, what can you do with a degree in Bible, a bachelor's in Bible, graduating salutatorian from your class with three different minors? I know it sounds impressive, but you can do the same thing with that degree as you can with a degree in journalism. Nothing. Um, except lead a church, maybe. But um, so, so I got a degree, and then I did an internship at this church in Virginia Beach for a year for free. I went to him, I said, I want to be in student ministry, um, and, and I, I, I see myself being the student ministry pastor here, and they said, well, that's nice. Um, here, how about you do an internship? I said, awesome. How much does it pay? They said, nothing. I said, okay, well, I'll do it. And so for an entire year, I worked for free as an intern there as their student ministry pastor, and then at the end of that year, they hired me, and I was a student ministry pastor for seven years of my life, and I loved it. I felt like I was in my sweet spot, like I was doing the thing that I was called to do. I had a passion for students. I was seeing kids' lives change. It was an amazing time for me, but then my passion began to wane, and there were some catalytic events that took place in the summer of 2012 that caused me to question my calling. You know, there are times where your calling changes, where it shifts, where you don't do the same thing your whole life, but, but you go through ebbs and flows in life. And this was happening to me. I started to question my calling, and, and if student ministry was really the place that, that God was calling me to be in. And uh, I started uh, talking with my wife about this, and we had a conversation where we said, you know, I don't see myself being in student ministry when I'm 50 years old. I don't even see myself being in student ministry when I'm 40 years old. Now, there are amazing student ministry pastors at that age, but I just didn't see myself there. And I said, but, but I do see myself at that age leading a church. And the question that we asked, well then, if that's where we're headed one day, why not start now? What's holding us back from starting now? Again, this was in the summer of 2012. And I started to look at all of my experience and everything I had been through, and, and I realized that God had brought me to a place to be able, I felt, equip me to lead a church, uh, to cast vision, to inspire people, to, to, to lead a movement that would make a difference in the world. And so we started looking at that, and we said, yeah, we, this, is, this is the route that we need to take. This is what God is calling us to do. Uh, and so, but again, I was hesitant about doing it. And I was hesitant about leading a church or starting a church, really for, for two reasons. One is because I was afraid. 
And the second is because I just felt like there had to be somebody better than me to do it. I mean, I could give you a list of people who'd be better to lead a church than me, more, more qualified, more equipped than me. And again, the, the first reason is I was afraid. I mean, people for years had come up to me and they said, you're going to start a church one day. You're going to lead a church one day. And I always said, no, that's nice, but I'm never going to do that. And I never told them why. And the reason is because I was afraid. See, I was afraid to step into that calling because I was wondering, well, what if it fails? What if I put myself out there and it just doesn't work? What if, what if we go to start a church and nobody shows up? By the way, if you start a church and nobody shows up, it fails. <laughs> you don't have a church. I started wondering, what if, what if we can't raise enough money because, because we're going to have to buy equipment and we're going to have to advertise and we're going to have to sustain this thing? What if we don't get enough money? What if, what if nobody comes? What, what if it fails? And really, I was afraid. And the other reason is, again, I just felt like there's got to be people more equipped than me to do this. There are better people than me to lead a church. And what I realized was, I was playing the role of Moses in avoiding my calling. So I don't know if you know the story of Moses or not, but God shows up to Moses and he says, Moses, I want you to lead my people Israel out of Egyptian captivity. And Moses responds with fear. Well, but, 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 but I don't talk good. And, and what if I go to them and they don't listen to me? And, and what if they ask who sent me? And, and then I'll be like, I don't know who sent me, just this bush I'm talking to. And so, so, so what if? And, and really it was fear that he responded with. And then at the end of the conversation with God, Moses just said, can you just send somebody else? Essentially, Moses is saying, God, there's got to be somebody better than me to do this. And I felt like what God was saying to me is, if I wanted somebody else to do this, if there was somebody better equipped to lead this church, I'd be putting it on their heart and not yours. And then I realized that fear was not a big enough enemy to bow down to. And if I was going to bow down to anything, it needed to be to the will of God. And so, in tackling those two obstacles, preventing me from pursuing my calling, I said, come on, let's go. We went to church planning assessment. It's a team of people who assess people who want to start churches. Because listen, some people want to do some things and they're not really good at it. I know you want to sing, but leave it to somebody else because you ain't good at it. But, but there are some people, you see those people on American Idol. Like, that's too dated. They, that stopped, didn't it? That's not a show anymore. X Factor, the voice. There you go. All right. But anyway, so, so we went to church planning assessment. There's a team of people who, who evaluate and see, do you have what it takes? And they said, yeah, we think you got what it takes. You got a green light. Go for it. Make it happen. That was great confirmation for us. And then we spent um, the, the beginning of 2013 all the way to September 14th, 2014, in the process of launching, doing a lot of hard work, raising money, getting the word out, building a launch team, telling people, here's how this church is going to be. And we spent all this time, effort and energy so that we could launch September 14, 2014. And on our launch day, we launched with 210 people right here at the Norva. Seven people that day said they wanted to accept Christ. Two weeks later, we had our very first baptism right here in the Norva. This is the first person to get baptized in our church. It's Leah Winters. And I think, you know, None of what we've seen today would have ever happened. 103 people baptized since we started. $72,000 given away to our strategic partners to make a difference in our local community and around the world. Jeans being collected to help the homeless. Serving our city this week to make a difference in our community. None of this would have ever happened 
if I didn't catch my calling and carry it. But it's not just about me catching my calling and carrying it. It's also about you catching your calling and carrying it. Because a great church is not built on the talent of a few, it's built on the sacrifice of many. We've been able to do what we do because so many of you have caught the call God has given you in your life and you've carried it. Because so many of you faithfully give, we've been able to do what we do. Because so many of you faithfully serve, we've been able to see what we've seen as a church. It's because not just that I answered the call of God on my life, but you answered the call of God on your life as well and stepped up to be the church. That's why we've been able to do what we've been able to do. That's why we've been able to see people raise the true life, because we've caught our calling and carried it. And I just think, you know, if I had never caught that calling, none of this would have ever happened. But the same is true if you had never caught that calling, none of this would ever happen. I want to help you understand today how to catch your calling and carry it. The title for my sermon today is called Cloak Catcher. Cloak Catcher. If you would take a moment to write that down in your notes, I want to tell you how to be a cloak catcher. Now, in order to catch your calling and carry it, uh, you first have to identify what your calling is. And I want to I help you identify your calling by showing you this diagram right here. Um, in order to identify your calling, uh, you need to answer three questions. You, you need to answer the question, what do I love to do? You need to answer the question, am I any good at it? And then, does the world need it? When you discover something that you love, something you're great at, and something the world needs, that is your calling. That is your purpose. That is why you're here. Let me give you some examples. Let's say you love numbers. I don't know what's wrong with you, but if you love numbers, you love crunching numbers, and you're really good at math, and you're really detail-oriented, then the world needs some great accountants. The world needs some great bookkeepers. The world needs some people to help keep us straight, you know? And so that is your calling. That may very well be what you need to do with your life. If you love food, if you're really good at cooking food, and you can make a great chicken sandwich, well, the world needs a great chicken sandwich, and so you're true at Kathy, and you need to start Chick-fil-A. See, if he never sees his calling, we wouldn't have something so great as a number one original sandwich or the spicy chicken sandwich, see? You gotta find out, what is it I'm good at? What do I love doing? And does the world need it. And right in there is your calling. So here's some examples of things to stay away from. Let's say you say, uh, I love drawing. Great. Are you any good at it? No, I'm rubbish at it. Okay, well that's not your calling. Let somebody else draw for Disney. Unless you learn. See, you might love something, but you're not really good at it, but you can learn. Are you willing to put in the time, effort, and energy to, to, to learn it? to become great at it, to, to, to invest your skill in it. I'll tell you, my, my wife, she's a graphic designer. She's amazing at it. She learned that in high school. She went to college and she taught her professor stuff, all because she had the passion, drive, and desire to learn. She became an expert at it, and that's her calling. She loves it, she's great at it, and the world needs to look good. So she helps the world do that through graphic design. So if you love it, but you're not good at it, well, learn to get good at it, or don't do it, pursue something else. Well, I love to sing. Great, I, I already talked about that. Let me give you another example. 
Let's say you love something and you're really great at it, but the world doesn't need it. What do you love? I love making mud pies. Awesome. Are you great at making mud pies? I am phenomenal at making mud pies. Does the world need it? No. That's not your calling. That's a hobby. And there's nothing wrong with having hobbies. That's just not your calling. And so your calling intersects in something that you love to do, something you're good at, and something that the world needs. Now, I want to show you this other diagram right here. And we add a fourth circle, and it's this. Not only do you love it, not only are you great at it, not only does the world need it, but you get paid for it. That's a bonus. Now, I didn't show you that at first because sometimes we confuse our calling with our career. Sometimes we're called to do something and we don't get paid for it and we stop doing it. But it might just be, see, when you find your calling, you can't stop. When you realize, I love this, I am good at it, and the world needs it, but I don't get paid for it, that's fine. I'll find out a way to make money. I'll find out what, what I can do for an income so that I can keep doing this. Sometimes your calling is not your career. Sometimes your calling is not your career. I'll give you some examples. Some of the people on staff here at this church are coordinators. They serve in a volunteer capacity. They don't get paid to lead in the various areas that they do. But they're pursuing their calling. So just because you aren't getting paid for it, don't let it prevent you from pursuing your calling. If you can get paid for it, sweet. If not, figure out something that you can do to make money so you can pursue your calling or figure out how to make money doing your calling. So here's how we identify our calling. You love it, you're good at it, and the world needs it. This is how you can identify your specific calling in life. This is how you position yourself to catch your calling. But I want to show you how you catch it and then how you carry it. So if you have a Bible, would you open up to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. It's 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19, 1 Kings 19, 19. Also, if you're following along in the Version app, you can just go to events. You can find the rising right there, and all my notes and scripture references are right there um, in the Version app. So 1 first, first Kings 19, 19. Here's what's recorded for us. It says, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. Two different people, Elijah and Elisha. Elisha was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Well, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. Again, the title for my sermon is Cloak Catcher. Now, Elijah was the prophet of Israel. He was God's spokesperson to the nation of Israel. Elijah got to sit in the presence of kings. Elijah uh, had doors open for him that others always had closed. So Elijah had great access. Elijah had a, a direct word from God. And there was this one time in Elijah's life, I mean, he was, he was, he, he, he was like this amazing prophet. Um, Elijah was 
No, no, I won't, I won't say that. Um, Elijah was B.A., you know what I'm saying? He, he was awesome. Anyway, so there was this time in Elijah's life where he has this showdown with, with the prophets of Baal. This, this is, Baal is another god. And he has this showdown with them on Mount Carmel. And God sends down fire and, and, and proves that God is the one true God. All the prophets of Baal are slaughtered. Elijah is on cloud nine. He's like, yes, see, I told you God is the one true God. And all the people of Israel see it. There's this great revival that takes place in Israel. But then the next day, Jezebel, the queen of Israel, who worshipped Baal, said, I'm going to take Elijah's life. So she threatens him. Elijah is, is scared for his life, and he runs um, in, 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 into this desert, and he sinks into a depression. And he gets so depressed, it gets so bad, that Elijah, the man of God, the prophet of God, who just experienced this great victory, prays and says, God, would you just kill me? Would you just take my life? He sunk so low, he now wants to commit suicide. And God shows up to Elijah in this moment. And essentially what God says to Elijah is, I'm not done with you yet. Get up. Stop throwing a pity party for yourself. Stop whining, because I got a plan and a purpose for your life. I've called you to something greater. Elijah, you need to understand that if you're not dead, I'm not done. As long as you're still sucking wind, I got something for you to do. Now get up and go do what I've called you to do. And the reason why more of you aren't clapping is because you think I'm talking about God talking to Elijah. God is saying that to some of you today. I know you've been going through some difficulties. I know you've been down and out. I know you got some hardships and you feel like throwing in the towel, but you need to get up and do what I've called you to do because you got a plan and a purpose. I knew what I was doing when I created you. I know that the best days are still ahead of you. So stop whining, get up, and do what I've called you to do. The best is not behind you. The best is yet to come. And this is what Elijah understands. So he gets up and he, and he comes across Elisha. And when we see Elisha, Elisha's this young guy. He's, he's plowing in a field and he has a yoke of oxen in front of him. A yoke of oxen was two oxen that were tied together. And he's behind the oxen. And he's in a 12-man plowing team. And we discover that Elisha is the 12th man in the 12-man plowing team. So here's Elisha's view all day. He's looking forward, and all he can see in front of him, and if anybody had a reason for despair, it's Elisha, because all he can see in front of him is ox butt. That's it. He can't see past that. And he's plowing behind him. I don't know if you've ever seen animals like this. Maybe you've seen elephants at a circus, horses in a parade, Camels on your Saharan desert travel adventures, wherever. But animals like this do not take care about where they relieve themselves. So Elisha is plowing behind these two oxen, and he's getting farted on all day. Poop. All over. That's so disgusting. I can't believe you're talking like that in church. Some of you, though, when you come on now, you talk about your life, you're like, yeah, that kind of describes my life. Feel like I'm getting farted on all the time. <laughs> Feel like I just keep plowing through poop all the time. It's just a blank show. I just can't even, that's what it is. 
So Elisha is where we are. We can identify at times. We can relate. Elisha's there. And not only does he have the two oxen in front of him relieving themselves, but there's 11 pairs of oxen in front of them. And he's just plowing through it all. And then Elijah comes along, takes off his cloak, and tosses it on Elisha. Now this is Elijah saying to him, you're going to take over from me one day. I want you to wear my mantle. You're going to become like me. And Elisha grabs hold of the call that's been cast toward him. He catches the cloak and then he begins to carry it. And his life is forever changed. We see that with Elisha, what happens is he follows Elijah for about seven or eight years and then eventually he takes over as the prophet of Israel. But that never would have happened had he not caught the calling and carried it. I want to show you how to catch your calling. So you know how to identify it. What do you love? What are you good at? And does the world need it? But I want to show you how to catch your calling. Here's, here's how you catch your calling. You've got to be in the right place at the right time. You've got to be in the right place at the right time. And I want to help you understand how to be in the right place at the right time by looking at Elisha. First, in order to be in the right place at the right time, you've got to develop humility or embrace humility and develop the attitude of a servant. Embrace humility and develop the attitude of a servant. Elisha is the 12th man in a 12-man plowing team. Like, this is the lowest you can go. What if Elisha didn't show up to work that, that day? What if Elisha started thinking, you know what, I'm better than this. I mean, I'm here plowing behind these other guys. I mean, I should at least be in the sixth position. or Really, I could be the first one because Larry, he doesn't know what he's doing up there. I could do a way better job than him. You know what? This is for the birds. I'm going to not show up today because we all say that. This is for the birds. Uh, but I'm not showing up today. I'm too good for this. I'm better than this. Well, if Elisha bought into his pride and didn't embrace humility... If he didn't submit to the authority over him, he wouldn't have been in the right place at the right time. And I wonder if for some of us, the reason why we miss out on being in the right place at the right time to catch our calling is because we're too prideful. Like, before you can lead, you got to learn to serve. Before you rise up, to where you long to be, you got to learn how it is in the trenches. And Elisha submitted himself to the authority above him and did what they said. He showed up for work that day. I wonder how many of you need to submit better to your boss instead of bucking against them, partnering with them to say, I'm with you in this mission. I want to help you succeed and I want to help see your vision come true. How much better would it go for you? What, what, what would happen if we just said, you know, I'm, I'm going to embrace humility and develop the attitude of a servant? Well, when we do that, we're in the right place at the right time. I love uh, the story that Dave Ramsey tells about his, his dad. Dave Ramsey um, has his own company, hundreds of employees, uh, great, great guy. But, um, his dad, I think, sold real estate, and he said that there was a time that they went into a restaurant and the server was just so awesome that his dad just said, hey, how much money do you make? And she said how much it was, and he said, well, here, I want to hire you to come work for me. 
And then she got the job and she rose up in that job from just being an agent to being like second in command. But that never would have happened had she not showed up to work that day at her waitress job, giving her all, embracing humility and the attitude of a servant and just really being faithful with what was in front of her. And that's really my, my second point. If we're going to be in the right place at the right time, then we got to prove faithful with what's in front of us. <clears throat> you got to prove faithful with what's in front of us. This, th th there's this, th this teaching that Jesus says in Luke 16.10 that really explains this. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. See, if you want to rise up, if you want to live out your calling or be in the right place at the right time, then you got to prove faithful with what's in front of you, right? I mean, this is just how the world works, right? It's not, hey, if you give me a raise now, then I'll perform better later. No, you perform better now, and then you get the raise later. That's how it works. You, students, you can't go to your teacher and be like, hey, if you give me straight A's now, I'll do all my homework later. No, you do it now, you prove faithful with what's in front of you, and the reward comes later. So often, so many of us want more responsibility, but we can't manage the responsibility we got now. I know you want to be the CEO of the company, but you can't even fill out your TPS reports on time, and you're in middle management. Well, if I got there, then one day it would be better. You can't even respond to an email. I got to check up with you four times to see if you even got it. So if you can't be faithful with what you have now, why would I give you more? Some of y'all are with me. Right? We got to prove faithful with what's in front of us. This is what Elisha did. My assignment is to be the 12th man in a 12-man plowing team, and I am going to do my very best at that. we got to prove faithful with what's in front of us. Well, if I had more money, then it just... But you don't even manage the money you got now. Yeah, but if I had more money... No, it wouldn't be easier. It'd be a lot worse. you got to prove faithful with what's in front of you. Well, I wish I was married. I wish I was just with somebody. The reason is because when you dated that girl, you treated her like crap. Prove faithful with what's in front of you, and maybe she'll want to marry you. Well, I don't know. When we get married, everything will change. No, if he doesn't pursue you now, he's not going to pursue you then. Come on. So if you want to be in the right place at the right time to catch your calling, you got to prove faithful with what's in front of you. And then finally, you gotta be available. You gotta be available. You know, I believe that God wants to do um, greater things in your life, but he can't because you're just too busy. I believe God wants to do greater things in your life, but he can't because your schedule's packed and he, he, you can't squeeze them in. See, Elisha, he had all the time in the world. He's a 12th man on a 12-man plowing team. He's not going anywhere. He was nothing but available. So when Elijah came along and he cast his cloak on him, he was like, all right, come on, sign me up. I'm ready. He was available. He was available. I love the story that Joyce Meyer tells about her ministry. She said um, 
you know, God called me into um, full-time ministry to go and preach the Word of God and, 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 and to share the good news with people. And uh, so I accepted that calling. I embraced it. I started doing it. I traveled, started traveling around it. It didn't start there. It started off really humble. But, but as time went on, her ministry grew, and she began to travel around the world and things like that. But as she continued to do what she did in her ministry, she had people tell her, you know, you can't do that because you're a woman. And she said, I didn't know that I couldn't do that until I started doing it, and then people told me I couldn't do it. And, and then she said, I, I went to God, and I said, God, you know I can't do this because I'm a woman. And she said, God said to her, don't you know, don't, don't, don't you think I know what sex you are when I called you? And so she's like, well, I guess that's right. So, so, so I started doing this, and I'm not, I can't do this, but I am doing this. And so what, and she went on to explain that maybe she isn't the best person to do what she's doing. There's probably a guy who's better equipped and able to do the ministry she's doing. But it might have been that God went to that guy and he said no. And maybe God called another guy to do that ministry and he said no. And, and, and she said, you know what, maybe I'm God's eighth choice to do this ministry, but the reason why I'm doing it is because I was available. Because I said, God, here I am, use me, I want to follow you. I was available and that's why I'm doing it. I wonder for you, what greater things does God want to do in your life, but he can't because you're just too busy. Because you hadn't made room to be in the right place at the right time so that you could catch your calling. Now listen, yes, prove faithful with what's in front of you, but keep your eye out and be ready when the cloak comes towards you. I'll give you an example in this church. Um, Carolyn Butler is our um, kids ministry coordinator. Yeah. And listen, y'all, she's done a phenomenal job. She's taken our kids' ministry higher than it's ever been. She's, she's just, just brilliant in this. But if you were to ask her two years ago, hey, do you see yourself being a kids' ministry coordinator for free at a church? She'd be like, uh-uh. And not for the free part, but she just would be like, no way. There's no way I'd be doing that. But here's what happened. She started coming to our church. And she did all the principles I just said. She embraced humility and developed the attitude of a servant. And she proved faithful with what was in front of her. She was serving at our VIP tables. And uh, there you go. She was, she was doing a great job there. She was killing it, organized, detail-oriented, great leader. And I saw her and I said, I think she has potential to lead our kids' ministry. That's a completely different area than VIP. I went up to her and I asked her, and I told her what I saw in her. And she said, yeah, I'll do it. And so she stepped up, and she stepped into this, and she's done a phenomenal job. But two years ago, if you were to ask her if she would ever do this, she'd say, no way, because it didn't look like what she thought she'd be doing. But she was available, and now she's living out her calling. And again, your calling doesn't always mean you get paid for it. So she's found a way to get paid so she can keep doing this. Maybe we'll pay her one day, I don't know. <laughs> Gotta give. <laughs> but... No, she can keep working for free. That's what somebody else said. <laughs> but she was available. She was available. She was available. I just wonder if I wasn't available to catch the call that God had on my life, would any of this happen? And, and here's the thing with, with catching your calling. You've got to be in the right place at the right time because some people are depending on you to catch your calling. People are depending on you to catch your calling. And so you got to catch your calling, but, but then it goes beyond that to carrying your calling. And carrying your calling can be difficult. Here's, here's what I mean. Um, here's, here's what happened with Elisha. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 21. So Elisha, 
left him and went back. He caught the cloak. Now he has to carry it. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plow equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. See, in order for Elisha to carry the cloak, to carry his calling, he had to burn the plow and the oxen. He had to sacrifice something. He had to give up. He had to step out in order to do that. Sometimes we like hearing and understanding this is what I'm called to do, but we don't always want to do what it takes to, to make it happen. Last week I quoted Dave Isay who said, knowing your calling is one thing, but the blood, sweat, and work to actually do it is another. There's this girl that I know went to high school together. She works at Restaurant Depot as a cashier. I said, what do you want to do with your life? Because I don't think this is it, is it? She said, no, well, I want to go into criminal justice. I said, great, well, what are you doing to pursue that? Ah, uh, you know, I'm just thinking about going to school. How long have you been a cashier? Four years. How long have you been thinking about criminal justice? Four years. You need to stop thinking about going to school and go to school, right? You, you need, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But if you're going to carry your calling... You just got to do it. And sometimes it's hard. See, we want to catch it, but we don't always want to carry it. Let me ask you, what is God calling you to do, but you've been putting it off because you're so scared to step out? Maybe you're like me. You're afraid of failure. Maybe you look and you say, man, it's going to take a lot of work to do this. What is God calling you to do? It's time to not just catch your calling, but carry it too. You got to catch it and carry it. As the band comes up, I want to ask you, what is God calling you to do? What do you love to do? What are you good at? And what does the world need? That's your calling. Now get in the right place. Be humble. Develop the attitude of a servant. Be faithful with what's in front of you. Keep your eyes open and be available so that when your calling comes along, you'll be able to catch it. But not just catch it, carry it. You gotta catch it and carry it. Somebody say catch it. Now say carry it. Catch it, carry it. Catch it, carry it. And here's what Elijah did. Because he caught his calling, he started serving Elijah. I don't know if you caught that or not, but it said that he, he, he left, he left, he left, he left, he left everything. The end of verse 21 and became his servant. Like this was a lateral move. He didn't catch the calling to become Elijah's apprentice or to be his second in command or to be his staff member. He caught the cloak so he could serve Elijah. But as he adopted the attitude of a servant and embraced humility, as he proved faithful with what was in front of him, and as he was available, he rose up to become the prophet of Israel. What are you good at? What do you love doing? And what does the world need? That's your calling. Make sure you're in the right place at the right time to catch it. But now I'm wondering will you do the hard work of carrying it? Because your calling is coming. Elijah's walking by and he's throwing the cloak on you. The cloak is in the air. Will you catch it? It's coming to you. 
It's coming. It's already in your mind. Some of you already know what you need to do. The cloak is in the air. It's floating toward you. Will you reach up and grab hold of it? Will you catch it? But not just will you catch it, will you carry it? Will you do the hard work of living out what God called you to do? Because not only does your life depend on it, it might also mean that other people's lives depend on it as well. Because they need you to catch your calling and carry it. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your love. I believe that so many of us here today know exactly what we need to do. We know what you've called us to do. Now help us do it. The cloak is in the air. Help us see it and grab hold of it. And then give us the strength and the boldness and the courage to put it on. Even though it's hard, even though it's uncomfortable. Because you've called us to something better. You've called us to something greater. And we are tired of settling for second best. Today we're catching our calling. And we're carrying it with your help and your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray you were inspired and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, sign up to serve on a team, join a group, or just find out more information on The Rising, visit us at wearetherising.com.